AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and welcome to episode 87 of AFF On Air. It's the 25th of June, 2022. Two episodes ago, you might remember that I spoke to loyalty program expert David Feldman about airline status extensions during the pandemic. Well, in this episode, I'm going to be talking to another loyalty program expert, Mark Ross-Smith, the co-founder of StatusMatch.com and former boss of the Malaysia Airlines and Rich Frequent Flyer program for a behind-the-scenes look at the world of airline status matching. We'll talk about why airlines offer them, how you can get one, and lots more. But first, let's begin with a roundup of the latest Australian airline travel and loyalty program news from the past fortnight. And firstly, with the peak holiday travel season right around the corner, travellers are being warned to prepare for delays, disruptions, and long queues at airports. The next few weeks over the July school holidays are going to be the busiest travel period in Australia since before the pandemic, with millions of people expected to pass through Australian airports. The last peak travel period, which was over Easter, was an absolute disaster operationally for some airlines, including Qantas, who lost thousands of passenger bags, had to cancel a ton of flights, and had a terrible on-time performance in the, the worst, in fact, that it's ever been since they started collecting data on this. Qantas says that it's better prepared this time. The airline has deployed extra staff, including more on standby, made operational changes, and has two wide-body aircraft on reserve. But it remains to be seen whether this will actually result in a hassle-free experience for Qantas customers over the July school holidays, or if it's just more spin from the Qantas PR machine. Overseas, sadly, things are not a lot better. There's a pilot shortage at the moment in the United States, leading to cancelled flights, and European airports, including Amsterdam Schiphol Airport and London Heathrow Airport, are particularly badly affected by staffing shortages. Many flights out of Heathrow have been cancelled in recent weeks, and many passengers are missing their checked bags. Footage of a mountain of lost passenger bags at Heathrow went viral last week. Meanwhile, there are simply not enough security screening staff in Amsterdam after many quit due to poor paying conditions during the pandemic. The situation in Amsterdam is now so dire that Schiphol Airport has had to cap the number of passengers it will allow through its airport over the coming European summer months, and this has led already to mass flight cancellations. Qantas has announced that it will launch direct flights between Perth and Johannesburg from November. These flights will run three times a week using Airbus A330-200s. Qantas already flies four times a week from Sydney to Johannesburg, a route that it restarted in January using 787s. This service will increase to daily from the 30th of October, meaning that from November Qantas will fly ten times a week in total to South Africa. South African Airways previously flew daily between Perth and Johannesburg for decades, but it cancelled this route in March 2020 at the start of the pandemic. South African Airways was already in business rescue at the time, and it has since massively shrunk its fleet. South Africa now only has two wide-body aircraft in active service, and these are being used exclusively for flights from Johannesburg to Lagos and Accra. South African Airways is therefore unlikely to return to Perth anytime soon, if ever, and Qantas has seen this as an opportunity. 
Air Mauritius is also resuming flights to Perth in November with a two-weekly service between Perth and Mauritius. And and Air Mauritius also offers onward connections to South Africa. But the only other travel options at the moment for travel between Perth and Johannesburg are via Sydney, Singapore or the Middle East. And there is a large expat community of South Africans in Perth. Qantas will also commence three weekly flights in December between Perth and the Indonesian capital Jakarta. Virgin Australia, meanwhile, will restart international flights to Vanuatu and Samoa in March 2023. It'll also launch a new route from the Gold Coast to Bali next year. Virgin resumed flights last week from Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane to Bali. Most of these flights are completely sold out at the moment, but it hasn't quite been smooth sailing for Virgin. All of these flights so far on the outbound leg from Australia to Bali have needed to make a refueling stop in Darwin due to temporary operational issues. Oman Air will become the newest member of the One World Alliance, with the One World Alliance announcing that it's been elected as a new member at its AGM, and the onboarding process is expected to be completed by 2024. Once Oman Air becomes a full One World member, Qantas Frequent Flyer members can expect to earn full uh, points and status credits on Oman Air flights and also to be able to redeem points and receive reciprocal status benefits when flying with Oman Air. The airline's own Sinbad members will also receive One World benefits from 2024, making that Frequent Flyer program a significantly more attractive proposition. Based in Muscat, Oman Air operates to around 40 destinations in the Middle East, Asia, Africa and Europe, using a modern fleet of 787s, A330s and 737s. Qatar Airways is sponsoring Oman Air's entry into the One World Alliance. The requirement to wear a face mask in Australian airports has come to an end after the AHPPC recommended last week that it is no longer proportionate to mandate mask use in airport terminals. Most Australian states and territories lifted the requirement last weekend, while the mask mandate ended in Victorian airports last night. Overseas, more countries have also eased entry restrictions, and many Asian countries that had been banning international transits have also now eased restrictions. The US axed its requirement for anyone travelling there to get a pre-departure COVID-19 test two weeks ago. New Zealand also ended this requirement earlier this week, although people arriving in New Zealand still need to take two rapid antigen tests after arriving. The Thailand Pass will be a thing of the past for vaccinated travellers entering Thailand from the 1st of July next week, which is the same date that Vanuatu will reopen to tourists, and Samoa is reopening to tourism in August. Meanwhile, Indonesia, Brunei, Vietnam and Taiwan have recently ended their bans on international transits at airports in those countries. Emirates has increased carrier charges on classic reward bookings made using currencies including Skywards Miles and Qantas Points for the fourth time this year. After the last increase in March, the taxes and carrier charges on a return uh, Emirates business or first class reward booking to London, for example using Qantas points, were already over $3,000 per passenger. They've now increased even further to almost $4,000, which is absolutely obscene and frankly insulting to Emirates and Qantas frequent flyers who've been working hard to save up their points. In more bad news for Qantas frequent flyer members, they'll soon be punished even more if they choose to travel with Malaysia Airlines with reduced points and status credit earning. It's already been the case for years that Qantas frequent flyer uses different airline earning tables for Qantas and Jetstar flights compared to other partner airlines. 
As you might expect, flights on One World Partner Airlines typically earn fewer points and status credits uh, than Qantas or Jetstar flights on routes where Qantas competes, and that is absolutely by design. But Qantas goes a step further with Malaysia Airlines. It awards points and status credits to Malaysia Airlines passengers booked in business class or business suites, which is Malaysia's airline, uh, version of first class, at an even lower rate than it does for other partner airlines by awarding those um, tickets, those business and first class points at the flexible economy rate, which is half of the usual business class rate and a third of the usual first class rate. Until now, intra-Asia business class flights on Malaysia Airlines still earn Qantas points and status credits at the regular business class rate. But from the 1st of August, the cheaper business class fares on Malaysia Airlines flight within Asia will also switch to earning Qantas points and status credits at the lower flexible economy rate. Qantas also came under fire recently for overcharging frequent flyers when redeeming their Qantas points for business class bookings on Alaska Airlines. Air New Zealand might not resume serving the routes from Brisbane and Sydney to Norfolk Island, despite the Australian government previously granting Air New Zealand the contract to service these routes until August of 2023. In March 2021, Air New Zealand had to temporarily cancel flights to Norfolk Island due to crewing issues um, relating to border closures, and Qantas temporarily stepped in at the time to um, take over those flights. The temporary agreement for Qantas to continue flying to Norfolk Island was later extended until August of last year and then again to the 30th of June this year. But it's now the end of June and Qantas continues to sell flights to Norfolk Island for the foreseeable future. It turns out that the Australian government commenced an open tender process to find a new long-term partner airline to operate flights to Norfolk Island back in April, even though the original contract with Air New Zealand is um, not up until um, more than a year from now. It, it has now closed applications and the government is considering now which airline to partner with going forward. Emirates has introduced a new home check-in service for first-class passengers flying from Dubai. This service is available to anyone ticketed in Emirates First Class, including passengers on classic flight reward bookings made using Emirates Skywards miles or Qantas points. And given the amount of carrier charges you're paying, it's probably just as well. Emirates also offers a chauffeur drive service, um, which is an airport transfer service for customers with paid first class and some paid business class tickets at many of its destinations, including in Australia and Dubai. So if you're flying an Emirates first class from Dubai, you can now use the home check-in service in conjunction with the complimentary chauffeur pickup um, closer to the flight's departure time if you're eligible for that. However, the Emirates chauffeur drive service is not available if you've booked using frequent flyer points. That's a change that was made a few years ago. And since the 1st of May this year, Emirates chauffeur drive is also not available to Qantas customers who've booked an Emirates-operated co-chair flight with a Qantas flight number, even if you're on a full fare first-class ticket. And Bankwest is offering an easy 5,000 Qantas frequent flyer points for signing up to a Bankwest Qantas transaction account. This bank account allows you to earn Qantas points on your account balance and debit card transactions and comes with no fees if you deposit at least $2,000 a month. If you haven't held a Bankwest Qantas transaction account in your name in the last two years and you open a new account by the 7th of August this year, you can earn an additional 5,000 bonus Qantas points by making at least 10 eligible debit card transactions each month using your card for the first three months after opening your bank account. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. 
You can stay up to date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. Want to learn how to maximise the value in Frequent Flyer programs? If you're new to the Frequent Flyer points game, or perhaps you'd like to perfect your travel hacking strategy, you may be interested in the Frequent Flyer training program offered by our sister website, Frequent Flyer Solutions. The Frequent Flyer Solutions training consists of 10 easy-to-follow online courses with topics including credit cards, earning, buying and redeeming points, airline status, hotel and supermarket loyalty programs, and how to find cheap flights. If you don't have hours to sift through online forums, the training explains clearly all of the tricks and strategies you need to know to make the most of your Frequent Flyer points and loyalty programs. For more information, visit frequentflyer.com.au. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know a lot about the benefits of elite status with an airline or hotel loyalty program. As a reward for your loyalty, you'll get special treatment and lots of extra benefits like lounge access, priority at the airport, or better access to upgrades that make your travel experience just that much better. If you have status with a particular airline, these perks are often so good that you won't really want to switch to another airline where you don't get the same treatment. And as David Feldman said on this podcast four weeks ago, that's indeed one of the main points of status from an airline's perspective, to increase the switching costs and lock in the loyalty of their frequent flyers. Airlines, of course, know this, and so they'll sometimes offer a status match to frequent flyers of their competitor airlines to encourage them to make the switch, and it can be a win-win. The flyer gets a fast-track to elite status benefits on another airline, and the airline potentially poaches a valuable customer. So what goes into designing a status match offer, and what's the best way for you as a frequent flyer to get one? Well, someone who knows a lot about status matches is Mark Ross-Smith, co-founder of statusmatch.com, the former head of loyalty at Malaysia Airlines and Rich, and also Trip and the Rift on the AFF forum. And he's previously appeared in episodes 14 and 20 of this podcast. Welcome back, Mark. Hey, Matt. Great to be back again. So at a fundamental level, why do airlines offer status matches? What's in it for them? So basically a genius marketing tool that airlines picked up in the mid 80s. The first status match that I know of was from American to United Airlines in 1986 and it was done by a fax machine. Um, we actually talked to the person who did this one. Wow. Um, but fundamentally, status matching is the most effective, cheapest way to unhook someone from flying one airline and get them to fly with your airline. So you got to your point, if you've got like a gold or platinum status with one airline, you're used to the benefits, right? So you're used to the priority boarding, the check-in, the bags, the lounge access, the seats, the, you know, da-da-da. And you don't really want to go fly a competing airline unless you get those benefits from day one because, you know, why would you why would you want to start from the bottom? Because you've, you're spending X dollars with one airline and if you were to even consider moving your business to another airline, you kind of want these benefits from day one. So that's where status matching uh, you know, sort of, sort of first came in as a way to unhook people from one airline and get them to another airline. And it's extremely effective. So like we've seen like, some airlines offering status matches in, in various campaigns. Uh, we've also seen status challenges. And then there's sort of ad hoc status matches where you can approach an airline um, directly and ask them if they'll match you outside of a promotion. Uh, can you perhaps talk through what the difference is? Yeah, sure. I give you a bit of background here. So over the years, Myself and our team at StatusMatch.com, we've probably spoken to dozens of airlines about the results they've seen from previous status matches in the last 20 years, the results, what works, what doesn't work. 
you know, combined with our own experience and obviously running loyalty programs and seeing that. Uh, and now we're running big status match campaigns and challenges for a lot of airlines and hotels called um, status match as a service. And, uh, you know, so I've got a lot of insight on the difference between status matching and challenges and what works. And I'll give you some highlights. Most of the time, status challenges are a waste of time, both for the airline and the customer. However, there are unique situations where it makes sense. Keep that in mind. Then there's what we call traditional status matches, which is you give status for free, you get 12 months. Uh, Generally, airline will see a lot of high volumes, a lot of people applying, but a a lower number of people completing some kind of action or tasks to, you know, or actually retaining status on merit based on the back of that. Traditional status challenges, you know, where you might have 30, 60, 90, maybe 120 days to, you know, you get status up front, then you've you've got to meet a challenge requirement, maybe X flights within 60, 90 days, for example. Um, Generally, these are engaging people that already plan to book tickets most, not always, but most of the time. So what happens is you get lower volume versus a traditional status match, but the quality is a lot higher because obviously it's a challenge and the intent is, you know, they're going, if they're going to take it up, they're going to actually use it. So you get higher quality, but lower volume. So overall, if you're an airline, you know, to where you run a status match or a status challenge, generally you're going to make a lot more revenue out of running a status match than a challenge. But again, you know, market dynamics and you might have strategic reasons for doing one or the other. Um, we work with airlines on, on a hybrid model. Um, you know, it's the traditional match or challenge doesn't always work. Um, we ran uh, a couple of years ago we, when we launched uh, the world's first paid status match offer with Frontier Airlines in the USA. It's an ultra-low-cost airline. They have a pretty good loyalty program. And it was a, we ran a match for them where you got 12 months of status straight off the bat. You had to pay a fee. It was a 49 US dollar fee to apply. Obviously, you still had to prove you had status with a competing airline. You went through a bit of a process and you got status um, you know, pretty quickly. People were getting upgraded within hours of applying. And so what it meant is that sort of brand introduction to, to Frontier Airlines was, was exceptional. You know, and, and people thought, hey, this is a great experience. You know, paying a fee is actually really important because you know, if you pay a fee, the logic is, well, I'm going to use it now. Right? I'll show them. Right, so the intent so you're to fly is a lot higher. Yeah, exactly. Really invested. You know, there there is a magical number. You can't go charging, you know, six hundred dollars for first. That's just a bit too much. But you know, fifty hundred dollars is really about the magic point there. Oh, that's interesting. So that's a status challenge that you're, or a status match that you're offering to someone who already has status with another airline. Do you think there's value also in offering like trial status to customers that don't currently have any status at all? Um, like something that Virgin Australia did a few years ago, for example, with the pilot gold status challenge they offered to Flybys members, just to give an example. Trial status can come with a lot of problems. Fraud is, is one big issue. Not so much fraud with the airline giving the status, but then that person will try and use that 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 games or that that status they've, they've got on trial basis to match somewhere else, the airline they really want, and it creates this circle which airlines don't really want to be a part of. So there's a bit of a risk in terms of that, that it'll come back and bite you as an airline one day. Secondly, trial is still a challenge, right? So keep that in mind. Um, for non-elites, what we see is um, giving free status up front on a trial uh, results in... The people that don't complete the challenge 
right? So, which is most people. People don't complete challenge. They see the status is was, was too easy to get originally and they disconnect a bit from that brand in the long term. So you get a bit, you get the revenue from people that do the challenge. Yeah, they take a couple of flights, but you, you potentially lose more from the people who disengage because they saw it as too cheap. Because remember, these people didn't have status to begin with. So they've never, <clears throat> excuse me, they've never, you know, if you're getting gold status, you're looking at what, four, five, 600 status credits kind of thing, right? That's a lot of flying, right? And if you've never had status before, you don't know what it's like to have to do 20, 30 flights to get there. And so there's a pretty big disengagement on the back end there that airlines just need to be mindful of. Okay, it's interesting, yeah. And American Airlines used to offer for, as well like a, a status challenge for a fee that was available to anyone regardless of their current status. Um, but that hasn't returned yet. They discontinued that um, when they changed the Advantage program. Based on what you just said, it's probably not a good idea, in your opinion, for American Airlines to bring that back. In fairness, if you read some forums or groups, there is something coming back later this year. Okay. According to some. Um, in you know, fairness, both United and Delta offer trial status challenges where you get status up front for 90 or 120 days and you know, it's prorated. You've got to do a certain number of flights and spend to keep it for the rest of the year. And that's been an evergreen offer that those two airlines have had out for a long time. Um, in, in terms of status challenges, th- there is a lot of fraud there uh, and the way that it's abused by pretty significant numbers of people. So I think if AA does bring something back, it's going to look and feel a little bit different to what United, I mean, I hope it does look a little bit different, but for the sake of competition. I think for Americans, it's also worth noting that in February and March this year, they did run a trial with Cheetah Digital, which is an email marketing agency they use to target a group of non-elite members, and they offered them a fast-track deal to, plat, I believe it was Platinum Status, that included you know, bonus miles and destination marketing targeting off the back of that. This was a a big data case that they had going internally where they used machine learning, all sorts of special stuff to try and target the right people and then offer them this fast track to see if they would, you know, take it up and and obviously go on to retain status. Um, They published their results online. You can probably Google it and and see, but there was a pretty high uptake and I think it was something like 80% of people that did the promotion, started opening other marketing emails from the airline. Wow. Okay. It's pretty successful. Yeah. You, you mentioned um, status match fraud. Is that quite a big issue? Like you obviously, um, and I, I want to talk a little bit about statusmatch.com as well um, shortly, but you, you've obviously seen a lot of status match requests. What kind of things do people try on like when they're, when they're requesting a status match that they're not actually entitled to and what can airlines do to combat that? Yeah, so we see... Hundred, we've had hundreds and thousands of status match requests through our network, and this I, I know there's frauds is listening, <laughs> so I can't share everything. Um, there's a there's a few key themes that come up. Again, trial status has an impact, um, a negative impact in, in some areas. So you kind of want to stay away from that if you're an airline. Um, obviously, the illegitimate people we'll call them will try to sell status on ebay and taobao and other private groups and where status is sold and and then you've also got uh internal fraud where you've got sales teams at airlines and hotels that you know will go out there and they'll 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 sell status to people so fraud is an issue and generally that that's why the industry moved away from status matching to status challenges because status matching is just so much fraud and when i say so much i mean it could be 
you know, 40, 50%. Wow. And move to status challenges where, you know, you only kept your status if you're flying. If you're flying, you had to show your ID and you're a legitimate person and, you know, it was less risk for the airline or the hotel in that case. So that's why the industry has moved towards challenges because of the fraud. But if you can eradicate the fraud, then it makes sense to go back to a challenge because it's far more profitable for everyone. I've heard, for example, of people photoshopping their name onto a like a Qantas gold card or something or whatever it is and, and sending that as proof of their existing status with an airline. But I didn't realize that it was so many other facets, like with, with other, other things that people are doing. Yeah, there's a, there's a, to be fair, there's even more than this. Um, but you know, it, it does happen. You know, We've got a pretty sophisticated network that picks up these kind of things we can validate status with almost any airline you know pretty quickly so if you try and photoshop your name on someone else's card we'll pick that up um which obviously benefits the airline the other fraud that's kind of interesting is in one market uh if the if the airline has any kind of fraud internally so status match fraud falls under this um the loyalty team has to report the case to the police and then someone from the loyalty team has to turn up to a local court and they have to testify, you know, what's happening. And it's a pretty big burden on that team to continually do this. And so for them, outsourcing what they do to us obviously makes a lot of sense. So there's there's different types of fraud. or We'll call it illegitimate activity, not just fraud. Uh, there's a lot of different things. And most, in my experience, most airlines are not equipped to handle this. That's really interesting. Yeah, so I guess that's where you guys come in. You know, um, so you're the co-founder of StatusMatch.com. Um, why did you start StatusMatch, and what does your business do for airlines and for also for frequent flyers? Traditionally, so StatusMatch is not new. It's been around for at least what thirty, forty years now, right? And for most airlines, the process of of having someone being interested in a status match and then upgrading it that that time frame is typically being two, three, four weeks. You know, if you email an airline today and say, hey, you know, I'm a new customer, I want to fly with you. I'm spending a lot of money. Can I get a status match? Depending on the airline, you could be waiting weeks for a reply, right? And if you're spending 20, 30, 50 grand a year on flying, you're a high value customer. You're in the top 2% of global commercial travelers. The airlines should want your business, but it takes so damn long to reply to your emails that we thought, you know, let's put a process around this. Let's systemize it for airlines. So make it work for the airline. So they've got a constant flow of new leads that come in. Uh, and on the other side, for consumers, for passengers, you know, you don't, you don't want to wait four weeks to see, you know, if an airline can give you a status match because in that four weeks you've booked how many flights have you booked because you're a frequent flyer, right? So it was about cleaning up the industry and making it work for everyone. So in terms of statusmatch.com, we do two, th- two different things. One is obviously statusmatch.com. You can register for free, punch in your your frequent flyer details, and then we'll let you know if anything, any opportunities come up based on your profile and the status you have with airlines or hotels or cruise lines, car rental, we operate quite extensively there. The second part is obviously run big above-the-line campaigns for pretty big major brands, you know, so we work with some pretty big guys, you know, we've worked with, you know, Emirates, Lufthansa, Air Canada, Latam, uh, you know, a bunch of others. Uh, you know, these are big above the line campaigns with many, many hundreds of thousands of people, you know, checking out uh, the status match offer. Uh, and, you know, that's a process, you know, we put people through, we validate status, make sure, you know, they're the type of people the airline wants. We eliminate as much fraud as we can and basically just give the airline the fully qualified vetted customer ready to go. 
uh, on the back of that, we obviously run the global status match database, which you know any airline can can tap into if they need to. We keep a record of everyone that's status matched, and that's that's useful for some airlines that you know you may want not want to take a customer that's just used their I'm making this up their Air New Zealand status to status matching to seven other airlines in the last month. You may not want that person in the database, so that helps sort of protect them around those sorts of things. Okay, so um, if someone has already a frequent flyer status with a particular airline, can they in contact you on statusmatch.com and like which airlines do you work with um, for for processing status matches? Like, can they request uh, if they want a status match with a particular airline that you might facilitate that, or, or how does that work? If we on statusmatch.com, if you, if there's a particular and we already work with that airline, it's pretty seamless process. You know, there's, it takes two minutes to go through a process. There is a fee to to apply. Um, and we, we walk you through that. And it's pretty automated on the back end. You get upgraded pretty quickly. If it's an airline we don't work with yet, um, you can register your interest in a match, which is great. It lets us know how many people are interested in uh, moving to a new airline. Uh, we then use that data to go to the airline and say, hey, look, we've got these 200 people over here. This is where they're from. They're interested in trying your brand. Let's do something. There's that. And then we've got a bunch of airlines where we send um, effectively ad hoc requests to them, you know, because people all around the world, people change jobs, they move cities, countries every day. And it's pretty normal for most airlines to have at least two, three, five status metric, ad hoc status metric requests every day, right? So if you move from Singapore to Sydney, right, and it no, no longer makes sense to have Singapore Airlines as your main program, you might want to status match into Qantas, for example. So you email Qantas, you don't hear back for four weeks, and, you know, if you came to a service like ours, you could just punch in your details and effectively we would represent you and send that request to Qantas and say, we don't work with Qantas, that's a bad example. <laughs> but you get the idea. We'd send the request to the airline with our contacts basically saying, here's this, here's this passenger, we've verified their status as platinum, they're worth about this much a year to you, how do you want to handle it? They haven't status with another airline, how would you like to handle it? Would you like to approve the request or not? Here's what we recommend. And so for the airline, it's just a simple yes, no, this is how we action it. Okay, cool. And I guess like you could contact the airline yourselves, but um, would there be an advantage to going through you guys? Like I guess you'd get a maybe a faster response or you're more likely to get approved or? Keep in mind, still to the airline if they want to approve you or not. Right, and, right, right. You know, not, not all airlines will approve people all the time. So sometimes make a good case on top of it, you know, like I'm big CEO with a bank or something, you know, that kind of stuff helps. Um you're going to have more luck going through someone like us just because we're connected to more of the right people in the right teams at, at the airline. Um, kind of know the people that they should go to and they're used to receiving requests from us. If you do it by yourself to your point, you might be waiting four or five weeks, um, you know, for a reply. And, you know, it's a pretty terrible brand experience when you've got to wait that long for someone that is a high value customer. Yeah. Is there a situation, do you think, where it doesn't make sense for an airline to approve a status match request, like other than if there's fraud or something? Not really, because people change jobs. We see this, this is a global thing, especially in the last two years, more people have changed jobs in the right type of jobs as well. With countries, there is this organic demand that exists every single day with every, we see it all over the place, every airline. We Sometimes we speak to, we ask them how many people apply for status matches every day they say we don't know or none and yet we on our back end we see it might be 10 a day so you know um 
Wow. And sometimes don't think there's demand for it when actually there really is. And in my mind, that is lost opportunity, lost revenue for the airline. You know, if people don't get a status match, you got to think, what do they do? If an airline says no, or they say we don't have a program, something like that. What happens is these people go, well, you know what? I can't use the status with my old airline anymore for what I've, I've changed countries, for example. It doesn't make sense anymore. So instead, I'm just going to fly the cheapest airline. I'm going to fly low-cost airlines. I'm going to disconnect from loyalty. I'm no longer going to be loyal to loyalty. I'm now going to be loyal to price or loyal to the, the network or loyal to the departure times or loyal to something else that's not loyalty. And for an airline loyalty program, this, is, this, is, this should scare them. Because these people disconnecting, um, getting them back is pretty tricky. Yeah. I, I've seen a lot of airlines have rejected status matches. Using the argument, they say that it's out of respect for other loyalty program members who've already learned that, you know, earned their status the hard, way, the hard way and they don't want to just give out status willy-nilly. They want to protect the value of it, I guess. Do you think that's a fair argument? I think it's a fair argument if it's 1992 and, you know, you're an egotistical <laughs> airline. <laughs> it, look, it doesn't work these days. You know, airlines all about should be great customer experience, great brand experience, getting new customers into the program. Even if you status match someone, that person never flies. It doesn't cost the airline anything until they fly. So, that I mean, that's the biggest thing. The status is free until they fly. And when they do fly, there's revenue on the back of that and the yeah. chances of them flying you again, 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 incrementally go up at that point. So it doesn't affect anyone. You could give everyone in Australia gold status today right? And unless these people fly, there's not that much risk to the airline. And when they do fly, you're making a lot of money anyway. Yeah. Other than the lounges being full, perhaps if everyone, everyone has access to them. But like there was, I think Delta, that, do you remember Delta yeah. a few years ago changed their program to make it harder to get status saying like, if everyone has status, no one has status because then everyone has priority boarding, everyone has priority check-in. Like that, that was, I thought that was an interesting argument. It, it also means they're making a lot of money though. Keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. Is, is a, as an airline, it's a good problem to have. If your lounges are full, just make a bigger lounge. It means you're paying money. <laughs> right. Everyone is at least paying, yeah, paying you for tickets to fly. Exactly. Um, when I spoke to David Feldman just finally on this podcast uh, four weeks ago, I asked him for his thoughts on whether it was time for airlines and hotels to stop giving members status extensions due to the pandemic. And David started his answer by saying that uh, Mark would probably have a different view on this, <laughs> Mark being you. And so since I'm talking to you now, I just thought I'd ask you, um, do you have any thoughts on this? Like airlines have been giving status extensions hotels as well for the last two years. Is it time to stop doing this or do, do they still have a place? What do you think? I did, I did listen to that podcast and I liked it. I did laugh and yell at computer screen a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> David's a really smart guy. Um, so I, yeah. I, really, I really enjoyed that podcast, actually. He had a lot of really, really great points to talk about. Uh, purely on status extensions, you know, obviously in 2020, maybe early 2021, it made total sense to, you know, handle that as airlines did. For markets like Australia, Canada, parts of South America, Asia, China, you know, 2022 extension. They, they made sense. Uh, Delta famously came out in early 2021, extending it right through to 2023, might remember. And I believe this was more to do, less to do with, you know, goodwill, we're loyalty, less of that, and more about protecting their co-brand credit card revenue. Because you got to remember, most people that have status have the co-brand card, right? And if people cancel the co-brand card, the next thing they disconnect from is the airline. Right, so you, you want people to keep the card. So, I think in some markets, some airlines keep 
people's statuses there, even though borders were open, people could travel fairly freely, was more about them not cancelling credit cards where a lot of the, you know, the high margin revenue is for these airlines. So I think that was probably a unique thing. I don't know how that's playing out in other markets, but, you know, that's, that's one good example. I think, however, today, you know, most countries are open. Um, most people can travel fairly freely. Um, if if they want to, on top of that, airlines have done a lot over the last year and a half to help people earn and retain status on merit. You know, so that might be status credits from, you know, petrol spend or, you know, do one flight and keep your status for another year. Yeah. Pay X dollars to keep your status or pay X points to keep. Like there's been a lot of offers out there, right? And anyone who hasn't engaged with these offers to try and keep status by now, I think there's a strong argument that suggests that they're no longer interested or have the capability to earn or retain status today versus, you know, three years ago. So uh, there's nothing wrong with this. The world's changed. Uh, You know, I think it's probably time to downgrade these people and that's probably a good thing for the industry as well because then people see that they've lost it and they can start earning it back again, right? There's a, a lot of science behind how people's psyche works when they're downgraded. So I think, you know, airlines should go out there and chase new elite members of tomorrow. You know, there's millions of people flying around every day all around the world without status that are working their way up the ladder now. I would help get these people into the re- the ranks of status to replace the, what we'll call elites of 2019 and, you know, get these new kids on the block onto the wheel because they're the future. That's where all the money is these days. And, you know, if you had status in 2019 and you haven't done anything to try and keep it, it's probably time to, to let it, let them go. Interesting. Well, thanks for your thought on that. And thanks also for your thoughts on status matches. It's been really interesting, Mike Ross-Smith. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Matt. And that's all for this episode of AFF On Air. Thanks again to my guest, Mark Ross-Smith. And thank you very much for listening. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes. Here you'll also find a link to the AFF On Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum, where you're welcome to discuss the podcast or ask me a question to be answered in a future episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd take just a minute to review AFF On Air on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips, and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, safe travels. Mm-hmm.